Father, again, we just thank you for this opportunity this morning to gather together as a local church. We praise you for all the things you have done in and around and through this church. And as we come to the end of our story as Redeemer Church, I just ask that you would, as always, you would just fill us and empower us by your Holy Spirit to see what your Word has to say about this. As we come to the end of this, that you would help us to to see it the way you see it. That we would be able to see what you're up to, that we would be able to trust you in the midst of however we feel. Trusting that you are working for good for your people just as you always are. So we just ask that you would teach us now as we turn our attention to your word once again. Amen. Well, today as we gather, I want to talk about these big themes, death, life, and faith. They're they're huge themes that run throughout all of Scripture from from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, and and really everywhere in the middle. And and this recurring theme happens over and over and over again that, that life as God defines it only seems to come through death. Things almost need to die in some way in order for them to to truly live. This is the the seemingly backwards logic of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And and, and, and in addition to this this theme of, of, of death that leads to new life, there is this theme of faith where we have to to trust God in the midst of it. Trusting Him that even when things feel like death, He is working for life, working for good, working for something that that proves to ultimately be for our good. And so death and life and trusting by faith in the midst of it all just come up over and over again in Scripture. And that's important for us because, as I just said in my prayer, Redeemer Church, our church, is dying. We have this Sunday as we're sitting here right now and next week and then our story in some ways is done as a a local church to not acknowledge that reality is to miss something that is real it's to ignore reality right and yet we believe by faith that this death is going to lead to a new life but at the same time there is a real sense of death there is a a real sense of loss, and if we minimize that, I think we minimize some of the new life that God might have for us on the other side of that as well. And so I want to take our time together this morning to to think through some of that, to reflect a bit on that from God's Word. I want to spend some time on this idea of of death and how it leads to life and what it means to to trust God in the middle of it, and to do that, I want to, to briefly revisit uh, a psalm that we spent some time in actually uh, earlier this year, back in early February, uh, which is Psalm 22. And we're going we're gonna to revisit this a bit briefly. I'm not going to go through every single verse like I often do. We've kind of done that before, and, and I want to reflect more broadly on some other passages as well. But I want to review some of Psalm 22. I want to kind of trace the high points because it's an amazing view 
of how this works. This, this idea of, of death leading to life and trusting God uh, in the midst of it. So let's turn our attention first to, to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, as you, as you just heard it read, it's a, it's a gut-wrenching cry for help from David. It is brutal in the language that he uses as he describes his suffering, as he describes this, this sense of, of torment that, that brings him to the point where he feels like he's already dead. He, he writes Psalm 22 as if he is a witness to his own funeral. And yet, he constantly alternates this description, this description of, of suffering back and forth with, with these incredible kind of confessions of faith and trust in God. Even when he feels like he's dying, he's still calling out and saying, saying, God, I still trust You. You are the one who is taking care of me through all of it. So let's look at some of this kind of back and forth. He, he starts off at the beginning of the psalm, uh, My God, why have You forsaken me? Why are You so far from saving me? I cry day and night, but You don't answer, he says. He feels completely abandoned and left behind, yet, in verse 3, he says, yet you are, you are holy, you're enthroned, you're still on the throne. I don't know where you are, but I believe by faith that you are still working. I believe by faith that you, you, you worked in those in the past, and our fathers trusted in you, and they weren't put to shame, so I believe you're there. They cried out and rescued. I'm crying out. I don't feel like you're rescuing me, but I, I trust that you're still there because you have been faithful. That's what he says. And he continues to alternate this. We have another chunk here that starts in, in verse 6. He says he considers himself the, the lowest form of life. I'm a worm and not a man. I'm despised by the people, by everyone around me. They, they mock me. They make fun of me. They, they mock my hope and my trust in You. They say it's, it's futile and it's worthless. Yet, in verse 9, it's You who, who sustain me even from birth, even from in my mother's womb, He said. You made me trust You when I was still a, a nursing baby. From my mother's womb, You have been my God. Be not far from me, He says. He keeps alternating these descriptions of suffering and trust in the same way. And then he goes into his, his longest description uh, starting in, in verse 12 where, where he feels like he's near death. He feels like wild animals have surrounded him ready to tear him apart. Bulls have surrounded him. They open their mouths wide at me like, like roaring lions. He feels like he's, he's already dead. He says he's, he, he speaks metaphorically, I'm poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melted within me. My strength is, is dried up. You lay me in the dust of death, he says. Dogs encompass me. Uh, and in that day, that's a lot of what happened to, to, to uh, dead bodies. They'd throw the dead body out and the dogs would eat them. They'd tear them apart. He says, that's how I feel right now. Dogs encompass me. People surround me. They've, they've pierced my hands and my, my feet. You can count all my bones. I'm so thin. They, they gloat over me. They, they divide my garments among themselves as if I'm already dead. Like I said, it's like he's a witness to his own funeral. And yet, he still cries out to God for help and for life. Don't be far off. Be my help. 
Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul. Save me from the mouths of the lions, from the horns of the wild oxen. Back and forth, again and again. Suffering and still trust. Pain while still trusting in in faith. Feeling like he's dead, but trusting God for new life. And then something remarkable happens in in verse 22. He says, he, he, he completely shifts his whole tone. It's like a, it's like a flash forward where he, he kind of moves forward in, his, in the middle of his, his own story to a, a future point where God has already delivered him from all of this. Where he is able to, to, to trust God and speak as if, even though he feels like he's dead, he's able to speak as if God has already fixed everything. As if deliverance has already happened. He says, in verse 22, I'll, I'll, I'll tell of your name to my brothers. I'll, I'll sing your praises in the midst of the congregation. And he, he encourages everybody else to join him. You who fear the Lord, praise him and glorify him, stand in awe of him, because he has not despised the affliction of the afflicted. He's not hidden his face, but he has heard. He says, From you comes my praise. And then he flash forward, uh, flashes forward even, even further in, in verse 27. He says, says, the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All families of the nations shall worship before you. He envisions this time when everything comes together. Where God's kingdom comes to, to earth. He, he flashes forward to really God's ultimate victory. Even though he only has a, a, a little bit of a glimpse of it. He says, King, kingship belongs to the Lord. He will rule over the nations. He says, posterity, meaning generations to come, will be told about, about all that God has done. And He will preach it to, to a coming generation. They shall come and proclaim God's righteousness to a people that haven't even been born yet because He has done it. He has done these great things. Psalm 22, it's a, it's a gut-wrenchingly honest description of suffering. He, he pulls no punches in making clear how he feels. He says, he says, I am dying here. While at the same time expressing this powerful faith and trust that God is working, that God is bringing new life in, in the midst of it all, it's, it's both of these things at the same time. It's, it's suffering and trust. It's this, this description of His pain while, while trusting in faith. And depending who you are, depending on your personality, depending on your story, your temperament, that kind of thing, you probably dramatically value one of those ends of that spectrum over the other, right? You're either the one that is, is constantly kind of telling everybody about your suffering, or you're the one that is constantly kind of the optimist of like, like, hey guys, you know, God's ultimately at work. Be encouraged, right? You know, I'm a bit more of the former. I know that there are some of you encouraging people out there as well. Psalm 22 shows that both of these can coexist. Both of these have a place. Both of these are meant to be engaged in even at the, at the same time. You don't have to pick one or the other. Not just be depressed or just be encouraged. You can be con- conflicted. I resonate with that. I identify with that a lot. It's a profound picture of of death and trusting God by faith for new life. But if you know your Bible at all, Psalm 22 points to an even greater story of, of death 
and life and faith. And that's the story of Jesus. As far as we know, Psalm 22 uh, is is a a figurative, a a, a metaphorical description of David's suffering. when When he says he... He, he feels like he's dead. He, he's describing how, he, how he's feeling. A lot of these things that he writes about in Psalm 22, it's more, as far as we know, how he felt than things that actually happened to him. But, but, but there's actually more to the psalm because even as, as David is writing it, the Holy Spirit is actually inspiring the words of David, and, and he's doing so in a, in a prophetic way to, to speak about things that haven't even happened yet. And speaking about things that would actually happen to Jesus. They happen kind of metaphorically. To, it's how David felt, but, but these things actually happened to Jesus. His hands and feet were actually pierced by nails on a Roman cross. Roman soldiers actually cast lots for Jesus' clothing while He hung there. Jesus was, was mocked as well, in the same way as David talks about, made fun of for his, for his hope in God even as while he was being crucified and put to death in this horrible, brutal way on a Roman cross at the request of, of Jewish authorities that hated what he stood for. But more than the, the pain and the suffering and the humiliation, what was worse for Jesus was when he actually spoke the words of Psalm 22. When he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because as Jesus hung on the cross, he took all of the, the sin, the rebellion, all the ways that, that God's created humanity had, had broken relationship with him, he took all of that onto himself on the cross. And God the Father, for this, for this moment, while He took all of the sin of the world onto Himself, God the Father actually turned His back on God the Son, Jesus. And that which was completely one and, and unified for all eternity actually became separate. David felt like God abandoned him. But at least for a moment, God actually did abandon His own Son, Jesus, on the cross. And then Jesus breathed His last after He cried out those words and He actually died. He died a a real death. Obviously, eventually, King David died who who wrote Psalm 22 as well, but but He didn't die uh, uh, in the midst of of what He was writing about in in Psalm 22. That was metaphorical. Jesus died a, a real death. Death, not a metaphorical death, not just a, a spiritual death. He, he actually died. And it was painful, and it was bloody, and it was horrible. And this is essential to our faith. Paul would write, would write later in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that if he didn't die in that way, then we have no hope that he actually rose, and everything that our faith is based on, it actually turns out to be a lie. It all, all our hope in God hangs on these events of, of Jesus' death. Yet, that death was not the final word, right? It was not the final word. Jesus rose from death to new life. He conquered death. He rose victorious over sin. Uh, and, and, and death and resurrection together are 
our hope. And to minimize either of them is to lose both. If you minimize the death of Jesus, His resurrection doesn't have near the value and the importance that it has. Jesus Himself spoke to this in John chapter 12, verse 24, when He said, speaking metaphorically, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He said this to some of His disciples that were listening. And what He meant by this metaphor was, was a prediction of, of how He would die. And how He would be, how His death would actually lead to new life for everyone who followed Him. Through death, through Jesus' death, new life came. And Jesus doesn't just give us a, a powerful story or a powerful example of, uh, of, of death to life. He actually says that everyone who would ever follow Him is going to walk that same path of death to life. And not just once, but over and over again. He says in, in Mark chapter 8, if anyone would come after Me, he has to deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life will save it. He says, he says new life only comes from a death. You have to lose your life to save it. And all followers of Jesus will follow Jesus in a sense on His path. The way of the cross. And Paul speaks to this in his letter to the Roman church called Romans. In chapter 6, he says, we are buried therefore with Him, meaning Jesus, by baptism into His death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. We die to sin. We die to our own desires, our own ambitions, our own pride and, and selfishness. And then we're made alive to a, a new life in Christ. The same power that, that raised Christ from the dead actually works in us to, to make us new people. And this is not a one-time thing. It, it begins when we first trust in Jesus but it continues on and on over and over again in, in smaller ways in life with God. Paul says in, in Colossians that we are to put to death, therefore, what is, what is earthly in us so that we might be raised continually to a, a new life that becomes more and more like Jesus. And so this is a, an ongoing process. This process of, of death and life crucifixion and, and resurrection, it, it continues in the life of all who follow Jesus over and over again until we reach that ultimate new life. When either by our death or Jesus' return, we see Him face to face and, and all death and all sin finally is done away with and the whole world is purified from sin and death and renewed and we are with Him here in a completely remade earth forever. And so what we see from all that, just, just looking briefly at a few of these passages and, and, and reviewing Psalm 22, is that this pattern of, of death and, and life and faith, it's, it is 
the essence of what it means to live a, a Christian life, life with God from the beginning of the world to the, the life of David in Psalm 22, ultimately in Jesus, and for everyone who would ever follow Him, it's all about death and life. And that is all by, by faith, believing and, and trusting that God is at work bringing new life even when all we can see is death. Like David, to be so sure that God is good that we can praise Him for the outcome even when we don't see it yet. To, to speak of God's work as if it has already happened even when it feels like we're dying. This is the pattern of all Christian life. And this is so important for us to consider today as we come back to where we started thinking about what that means for us as a church because this is exactly where we're at as a church. It's important to, to remember this pattern. It's, it, 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 death is not the exception to the rule. It happens everywhere around us. Everyone dies. Everything at some point or other dies. And so I want to reflect on that a little bit. This idea of, of death and life and faith in the midst of, of our church. And I want to start with, with death. Our church is coming to an end, and I want you to know that there's a, a sense in which it's a natural thing. Potentially, I think ultimately, in an ultimate sense, even, even a good thing. And we'll talk more about the upside in the middle, but I want to I want to sit in this for a minute. I want to sit in this idea of death. I, I made this point a, a couple weeks ago, the last time I, I taught, that, that it's very hard to find a, a church that is healthy and endures. Uh, and by church, I'm talking about a, a local church. A, a lowercase c local church that endures for generations and generations. I've been to London and walked by Martin Lloyd-Jones Church and Charles Spurgeon's Church. And there's still buildings there, but they're not like what they were, right? They're nothing like what they were. And so we can really only draw two conclusions from that. Either God is really bummed about it and there's nothing He can do, and He really wishes that churches would last longer, but He, can't, he just can't make it work. Or it's His plan, right? I choose option B. And so this idea is that, that, that churches, constantly local churches, come and go. God has never promised to sustain an individual local church. What He has promised to sustain is His universal church, made up of all people who belong to Him, past, present, and future. That will never fail. That will constantly endure. That will make it all the way to see Him face to face. Local churches, it's less of a deal. And so as we come to this point of, of death, we need to take it seriously. I would argue as, as seriously as we take the death of Jesus. And I hope that that's one thing that you can see clearly from Psalm 22 and really, really in all of our time in the Psalms. It's that we are meant to give a full voice to things that are hard and difficult, to times of, of depression and lament. There is more writing about that in the Psalms than anything else. There are more psalms of lament than there are psalms of hope. Now often the psalms of lament end in, in some kind of expression of hope, just like Psalm 22. 
And I know for some of you, I'm preaching to the choir. If you're like me, uh, everything always kind of trends towards a more minor key and you have no problem uh, identifying with lament and depression. Um, but, but there's some of, uh, uh, others uh, here I know, and particularly in the church, and, and particular traditions in the church that really minimize that. They really act as if there's something horribly wrong with you if you do feel a little dark from time to time. If the Psalms are all about worship, and that's what the, the name means, Psalm means praise, and, and the book is called the Book of Praises, and, and if the Book of Praises is made up of more songs about lament and difficulty than songs of uh, happy, clappy rejoicing, then I think what we can draw from that is that that means that's a lot of what life is, right? I just want to make sure you don't miss that. And I want us to, to take time to acknowledge these feelings. To let ourselves feel the sense of loss either in big ways and in, and in small, less significant ways. But there, I, I hope today to just be able to, to think through a little bit of this and, and, and validate some of those. I have to confess personally, just to be honest, uh, I've been pretty busy in recent weeks, and I'm planning on continuing to be pretty busy through this next week. And, and for me, I'm struggling with this in some ways. I, I, I am not, I, I'm, I'm kind of all over the map. I'm pretty conflicted. I'm not sure a lot of this is going to hit me till the end. And this is a lot of kind of how I work. I kind of, when I'm busy, I put my head down, I get through it. Some later time, I'll sit and be still, and then it's going to hit me more deeply. I don't know if you guys are like that, but I know I've talked to enough of you that that I know you're, you're feeling some of this already. You're wrestling with ways that this does feel like death and, and loss. And, and so I want to just highlight a few of those things. Uh, areas where you might feel some of that loss. And, and as I've been thinking about this, I've, I've been thinking about different things that, that define us as a church. Uh, and the first one, the first thing that, that somewhat defines us as a church, uh, that and that might be an area where you feel some sense of loss is, is the castle. The church is certainly more than our building, and yet every local church meets somewhere, and that becomes kind of a somewhat a part of their identity. And we love the castle. We, we closed on this building almost exactly to the day today, seven years ago. It was sometime, I don't know, early, the first half of August, around this time in, in 2011. Now, we're going to be back in here. We're not, we're not losing it altogether, but it's going to take a while. And when we come back, it's going to be different, right? Just want to acknowledge that. And change is hard. It's not the end of the world. We still get to meet here. There's going to be a vibrant, active church meeting here in this place, in this building, in this neighborhood, and that's awesome. But it's going to change. And for some of you, that'll be hard when you come back in. Or maybe when you come to, to kind of help out along the way, it's, it's not going to look the way it looks right now. Colors will change. Decorations will change. It won't, it won't feel the way it has felt. And there's a sense in which when you come back in, that might feel like a little bit of loss, even more than you feel right now. It might be something you, you feel in the future. Like I say, it's not necessarily the end of the world, not our biggest issue, but it's, it's a real thing to think about. There'll be a sense of loss. There'll be a sense of death. There'll be a sense of, of change. More than the building, Redeemer Church is also a, a culture. A culture made up of, of traditions and language and, 
and music, right? Traditions will end. I don't know if Door of Hope is as enthusiastic about pie as we have been, right? We can only pray. We can only encourage, you know, bear witness to the glory of pie. I don't know if we will end up having photo booths with ugly Christmas sweaters around the holidays, you know? That's a tradition, right? It's been a fun one. Traditions will change, right? Language will change. Door of Hope will talk about things differently. Josh preaches differently. We have all kinds of things in common with them, a lot in common. But plenty will be different. And, and it's sometimes it's those little things that can kind of chip away at you and kind of be just like, man, you know, I kind of wish it was like those other days, right? Music will change. I'm not sure. Uh, I think besides preaching, and, and, and you could make an argument uh, that maybe even more so, I think music does more to, to set a, a culture, at least of a, of a church gathering, than almost anything else, right? Because music is, uh, not to get too philosophical here, but, but music is a, is a definitive element of culture, just like food is. It's one of those things that defines a people and, 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 and really embodies. Culture is just the, the sum total of, of, of ways that human beings be and act. It's what they say, it's how they say it, it's what they eat, it's how they live. And it's music, right? Music will change. There will be some familiar songs. Even as Dora Hope folks, Josh and others, have, have led worship here uh, in recent Sundays, you've heard some familiar songs, but there will also be lots of new ones, right? Culture will change. Again, it's not the end of the world, but there will probably be a sense of loss, right? There will be a sense in which it will be different, and sometimes that will feel hard. There will be some days when it's like, man, I just wish we could come sing this song or whatever, you know? Or like, I'm sick of this new song. It's always that way. I've been a leading worship in churches uh, for, jeez, uh, I guess, over 20 years now, and, and it's, it's just always a thing, right? It's natural. But there'll be a sense of, of loss, and maybe not immediately, maybe later on, over time. But more than a building and more than culture, most of all, Redeemer is people, right? A church is a people. It's not just a building Church is a people. And we are joining a new people. And this new people, there's a lot more of them, right? At least than there are of us right now, left at, at Redeemer. And for some of you, and this is again where it's going to uh, really depend on your personality, right? For some of you, that sounds awesome, right? Some of you, it's like, this is so great. We're going to get to meet all these new people. And then for some of you, it's like terrifying. It's like, oh my goodness, we're going to have to talk to more people. I just got used to talking to these people, right? Exciting for some, terrifying for others. Probably most of us are somewhere in the middle, right? In the past, we have been a larger church, uh, almost the size of the Door of Hope is now. At one point, we had about 800 folks with, with plenty more coming on, on holidays, right? Some of you were there then, and it was hard to find people in the sea of humanity. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel that way some. Our church is smaller now. It's, it's easier. It's more natural to, to stay connected with the folks who are here. Uh, that will change, right? And I'm going to encourage you just practically uh, in the same way as I encouraged you when we were much bigger. One practical little user tip here is, is do your best to uh, attend a Sunday service as a part of your community group. That's a way to make a large church feel smaller. 
That's what we encourage folks to do back in the day when we had uh, a lot more. Uh, and that's what I would encourage you to consider uh, as we join Door of Hope. That will help, but there's no way around the fact that it's going to feel a lot different from day one. And if you visited, you know it. It feels different. And there's some ways that, that Revolution Hall, where Dora Hope is currently meeting, uh, even makes that a little you know, less personal. It, and it's part of why they want to get out of there as soon as they can. It's part of what they love about the castle. A, a, a church meeting in the castle just naturally feels warm. And people have always, every time we've ever gathered, people are always just hanging out here for a long time afterwards. It's less that way at Revolution Hall. It's more sterile. It's more of a performing arts space. It's acoustically treated, so it's super dead. So even if everybody's singing their guts out at the same time, you won't hear them because it's been deadened in a, in a major way. Everything about the castle here kind of amplifies people's voices and gives you that sense of filling the room with song. There it's kind of like, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a black hole. It sucks everything up. It's a very different kind of space. And, and then they also have a deadline every Sunday because they rent it in the morning because every Sunday night they have shows. And so they have to get out at a certain point. And all of this is why they really want to get out. Because they feel like it sometimes they're just like herding people through. So just know it's going to be different. It's not going to be terrible. Uh, uh, Josh has, has said you know, a number of these things sitting on this stage answering uh, questions at, at different times. And, and then I, I've heard from a number of you, you guys actually visit on a Sunday, and you're like, oh, it wasn't near as bad as Josh made it sound like. It, it's not terrible. But there's some challenges, and it will, it will feel different, right? But even more than, than the size of the church changing and some of those dynamics... Some of you are, are moving on to another church. And, and for, all, for all kinds of different reasons. And all kinds of people that used to be a part of Redeemer have made that choice over the course of, of this last year, right? And some of that's just the natural shift of things. People, people move away. People change. People move into a different part of town. Uh, some of it uh, is because of our drama over the last year. Some of it is because of, of folks kind of reconsidering depending on where they live. If they lived a little farther out, this is another kind of natural time when they might consider finding somewhere, you know, to, to, to be a part of a church that's a little closer to where they live. And I think that's going to be the hardest thing. What's hardest is, and I don't say this to, to pressure anybody who is thinking about that or try to get you to reconsider or something like that. Uh, we're just, I just want to be honest, though, at the same time about a sense of loss and that, that we're not going to see each other. We're not going to see each other in the same way we have. And some of us are not going to see each other nearly as often because we're going to go in, in different directions. And I think a lot of that is being done for, for good reasons and for right reasons when folks have like prayerfully considered this. But it's still a loss, right? It's still sad. There's still a sense of, of death that kind of comes from that. And, and just as a side note, just something I want to say while we're talking about this, I, you know, I've talked to a number of you who are transitioning or who have already done so to, to a new church, and usually it's because of uh, the, so, uh, finding a church um, closer to you, and I think that's a great idea. I think it's always easier to connect to the life of a church uh, if you're closer to that church, right? But if you don't have a church to go to and you're on the fence, I just want to encourage you and, and, and specifically just to, to continue to join us in the meantime, right? 
Everybody is welcome. If there's any reason that you don't feel welcome or feel displaced in the middle of all this, that's not what we want. I hope you've heard that clearly from Josh and Door of Hope folks. Yes, they have a vision for the city of Portland, but that's not to the exclusion of other folks. They, they have chosen to focus on the city. And to be honest, so have we throughout the whole life of our church. That's why we bought this building. I was praying specifically for a building between uh, 65th and downtown and Broadway and Powell. That's what I was praying for. And God answered that prayer when we were involved in planting this because I have a heart for the city and wanted to start a church in the middle of the city. The castle's right in the middle of southeast Portland. It's always been... Uh, and we, we, we've welcomed other folks. But everyone and everybody has been welcomed, but it's been a, a church that's in the middle of the city. And that's a lot of, of Door of Hope's heart as well. And I hope you hear that from them. If you heard something different, it's not what they meant. And I definitely want you to hear it from me. Everyone is welcome in the midst of all this. So if you feel called and pulled to another church, that's fine. That happens all the time. But don't end up, don't end up nowhere in the midst of all this. That's, that, would, that would be the worst case scenario for me. And if you're feeling that way, if you're torn in that way, if you're struggling with that, or feel something different than that, please come and talk to me or, 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 or one of the other members of the board. We'd love to have that, that conversation. So, so in all of these things, there's a sense of, of death and loss. The story of Redeemer, it's, it's coming to an end. The castle will change. Traditions, music, culture will change. We won't see each other as often as we have and in the way that we have and as easily as we have. Death, death is hard. Death is unnatural. Death is an enemy. The only reason death exists is because of sin. And one day, it will be rolled back and done away with. It's our reality now and God works through the brokenness of death. One day though, it will pass away. And in the meantime, for God's people, death is never the final word. We will feel lost. There is a sense of death. This story is coming to an end, but we're not just giving up and throwing in the towel. As a church, we believe that this is where God has led us. We believe that God has led us in this direction to join Door of Hope for a sense of, of new life as a church. That together, Door of Hope and Redeemer, uh, together can, can see things in both churches that neither could see on their own. That's what we believe. That's why we're doing this. There will be new life at the castle. Door of Hope is going to put a lot of money into it. More money than we have put into it uh, in all the seven years that we have been here. And that's awesome. It will change, but when we come back, it will be in better shape than we have ever seen it. And that's awesome. Uh, uh, there will be new life that will come in, in all kinds of cultural areas. As we join Door of Hope, there will be new life in, in people and, and new relationships that will be formed. That's where God is leading us. And most of all, both churches believe that more people will get to hear about Jesus together than separate. And that's ultimately why this church began. That's why we have continued. I believe that's why God has sustained us and why God has led us to this point now. So our hope is in that new life and the challenge 
is to believe by faith in the meantime. Like David in Psalm 22, to believe so strongly that God is good that we begin to praise Him for having worked it out even when we don't see it yet. That's what it means to walk with God closely by faith. Trusting Him. So, where does this strike you? Where do each of you fit in the midst of all this? You resonate more with and, and, and identify more with the sense of death and loss? Do you identify more with the hope of, of new life? Are you struggling to trust God in the middle of it all? Maybe, maybe this isn't Maybe this whole thing is kind of like, wow, you know, honestly, I've got a lot bigger fish to fry right now, so thanks for talking about this all service. Um, maybe there's much larger issues in your life right now. Whatever it is, I think the answer is the same, right? I want to encourage you to trust God today, believing that He is working in your life, that He's working to bring new life, that He's working to bring good things whether that matches up with your definition of good or not, whether this is the path for our church that you would have chosen or not, to trust Him that He is, is working for ultimate good in and through all of that, even when we don't see it. Even when it feels like death, that He's bringing new life. And I want to encourage you to be, be honest with God and honest with one another, just like we see David do. We, we should be able to, to, to have these, these conflicting emotions coexist at, at, at the same time. We can, we can feel a sense of loss at the same time as, as truly trust that God is working for good. Those, that, that's a good place to be. I want us to be honest with God and be honest with, with one another in the midst of all this. That God always has and He continues to bring new life from death in big ways, in small ways, and ultimately in and through Jesus. When God sent His only Son to die for us to make relationship with God possible in a way that God could have chose to do another way, but He didn't. And the challenge is to trust Him in the midst of it as profoundly as Jesus did. Jesus is the ultimate story of, of death and life. He's also the ultimate example of faith. When in the garden, right before He was betrayed and would be brutally executed the next day, He prayed. He said, God, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way than what I'm about to endure, please show me that other way, but Your will be done. That's the ultimate act of faith, in my opinion. And that's the, the path that He calls us to as well. God, I don't always know what You're up to. God, I don't always know where this is going. But I trust You. And so not my will, but Yours be done. Some questions. Just simple questions to think here this morning or to consider in our community groups this week. How does the end of Redeemer feel like death and loss? And how does it feel like new life? Be honest about both of those things. And then specifically, how is God inviting you to trust Him in the midst of it all? 
here this morning as you think about this, as we join Door of Hope, as you consider going to a new church, what, as you're wrestling with whatever you're struggling in in life right now, whatever it is, God through Jesus is drawing you to Himself. He's inviting you to trust Him. In the words of, of, of Psalm 34 that we looked at a few weeks ago, He invites us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Put Him to the test. See His goodness. Don't just think about it. Don't just profess it to be true as an intellectual idea in an abstract way. Put Him to the test and feel and experience His goodness. That's what He invites you to here this morning. I'm going to pray and we'll respond together. Father, we just thank You, just as I said at the beginning of our time, for all the ways You have worked in and around our church. We praise You for how You led us to begin as Mars Hill Church Portland many years ago. We praise You for how You sustained us through all the drama of, of Mars Hill Church ending and led us into a new life as, as Redeemer Church. And we praise You for how You have sustained us through everything that has come and everything that has happened through Redeemer. We just praise You for, for how You have led and sustained us and we praise You for how You have led us now and provided such a, a clear sense of direction for what comes next. And so in response to that, Father, we trust You. And I just ask that through Your Holy Spirit, You would just work in the hearts of everyone here to be honest with You about where they're at. That You would draw us to trust You, to step out in faith, to trust that You are good. That You are working for good. However we feel. And I just ask that because of this decision, this this joining of churches, that, that we would all continue to walk more closely with You and that more people would come to know the good news of how You bring new life out of death. So we just thank You for this time together and we respond to You now. Amen.